You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Heart Matters, where leading cardiology experts explore the latest trends, technologies, and clinical developments in cardiology practice. Your host for Heart Matters is Dr. Janet Wright, Senior Vice President for Science and Quality for the American College of Cardiology. Does elective percutaneous coronary intervention make sense for patients with stable coronary artery disease? Or some better off with optimal medical therapy? The answer may depend on our ability to document ischemia in these patients, but it also leads us to another question. Are we doing enough through stress testing and other means to substantiate the need for PCI? Our guest today is Dr. Rita Redberg, Professor of Clinical Medicine in the Division of Cardiology at the University of California, San Francisco School of Medicine. Welcome, Dr. Redberg. Thank you. I'm glad to be here, Dr. Wright. Now, I've read this article from JAMA in October of 2008. You took a look at Medicare data from 2004, patients who'd had elective PCI. I want to hear details of this, but but first, let's start with why did you examine this population of patients? Sure. So, we are interested in use of PCI. Obviously, it's a great technology, can offer a lot of relief to our patients, but we've also noted that its use has been increasing significantly in the last 10 to 20 years since its introduction. And we were interested in looking at patterns of use. We use the Medicare database because, honestly, Medicare has the biggest, most accessible administrative claims database. And 2004 actually was the most recent year that we could get. And so we looked at a 20% random sample of the 2004 Medicare fee-for-service beneficiaries who had elective PCI. And your aim or your objective in this study was to do what? In this study in particular, we were looking to see how many of these beneficiaries had a stress test before getting their elective PCI. And that's because our American College of Cardiology, American Heart Association guidelines state that patients should have an evaluation for ischemia before elective PCI. And so you must have had an intuition or some suggestions from other data that perhaps patients were not undergoing these procedures, testing in sequence? Well, no, actually, this was a descriptive study. We were interested in seeing what the rates were. We didn't have, going into it, any particular number that we were going to find in mind. And we really assumed that most people, but not all, would be getting an evaluation for ischemia before PCI. Let's flip to the back of the book first and tell us what you found. Well, okay. So what we found, and we were able to look at uh, just over 23,000 patients who had elective PCI. Remember, these were all over 65. We looked at the time period that was 90 days before their elective PCI, and we eliminated you know, all emergencies, primary PCI, and anything that would have made it not elective. And what we found was that 445 or less than half of these patients underwent any kind of stress testing in the 90 days before elective PCI. And of course, we looked at pharmacologic testing as well as exercise testing. And then, you know, as we did have national data, and there's a lot of interest in regional variation, we looked if there was regional variation in the use of stress testing before PCI. And, you know, no surprise, and this certainly we expected because we've seen this for every other procedure that's been looked at. There was a lot of geographic variation across the country. So the rates ranged from as low as 22% to as high as 70% in terms of how many patients were getting stress testing before elective PCI. But I would say in general, that number was lower than we were expecting. 
And what did you learn about any correlations in what patients were more likely to have undergone pre-PCI testing? Okay, well, you might expect a history of chest pain as well as being black increased the likelihood of having stress testing prior to PCI. And was there any correlation between the number of PCIs done by a given operator and the likelihood of having pre-testing? Right. So we found that patients who were treated by physicians who performed more than 150 PCIs per year were less likely to have had stress testing prior to PCI. Now, Rita, you're going to have to explain that. Well, you know, of course, you know, I have to qualify, you know, all of our findings were based on administrative data. So as much as we would have loved to go in and talk to patients and physicians about their practice, we had to make all of our results and assumptions based on just administrative data so we knew what people were doing. So certainly one could speculate that one of the reasons patients who were seen by physicians who were doing more PCIs were less likely to have stress testing is that those would-be physicians that are getting people into PCI more expeditiously and not stopping to stress test and therefore doing more PCIs. Right. And I I know uh, some of my interventional colleagues who are very experienced would probably say that their judgment had improved by taking care of a number of people, a large number of people over a lot of years, and that they were more likely to identify disease by history, perhaps, than rely on testing. I mean, that's an alternative explanation, I guess. Absolutely. And, And I'm sure that's true. I'm sure that that's certainly explains some of what was going on. You know, there were certainly patients, I don't think anyone would expect you to order a PCI on, no matter what our guidelines might say, if you're convinced that they have ischemia, their symptoms are so typical, or somebody who, you know, has a lot of risk factors, or, you know, there could be lots of reasons why you would go straight to angiography and then PCI, but we weren't expecting to see it as frequently as we saw it. So, I would say, even though I said we didn't have a preset idea, if I had to put a number on it, I'd say we thought we'd find about 75% to 80% of patients getting PCI. So there are always going to be people that we weren't going to see. We, we didn't think it would be less than half, though. And your point is that this was an observational study using administrative data, so there are certain limitations in your ability to make any conclusions about the finding. But it certainly could serve as a basis for additional research. That's right. We'd you know, love to be able to, for example, go into the low stress testing areas and the high stress testing areas and see whether we, could, if we drilled down, we could identify anything that made for those differences in practice. And also, as I said, just to talk to you know, patients and physicians about their particular, you know, for individual decisions. But we had a lot of data to look at, but we didn't have a lot of detailed explanation for each one. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Janet Wright, here today with Dr. Rita Redberg, Professor of Clinical Medicine in the Division of Cardiology at the University of California, San Francisco School of Medicine. We're discussing treatment avenues for patients with stable coronary artery disease and, and really the uh, workup and evaluation of those patients. Rita, do we have any idea what the appropriate rate of pre-PCI testing is? <laughs> Well, that's a good question. And again, you know, I think it depends somewhat on your population, but, you know, my best estimate, I think, would be 75 to 80 percent. And so you're, you've raised in the study a number of, I'm not sure, I, I guess you could call them public health issues, or there's certainly uh, health issues with economic impact. 
We've heard a lot about inappropriate care, both overutilization and now underutilization of services. I happen to know that you have an extensive health policy background, having been a Robert Wood Johnson Fellow. This study, the things you learned from it, must have sort of whetted your appetite to get in and learn more. What kind of direction are you interested in taking next? Sure. Well, with respect to this study, yes, you're right. These studies always kind of lead you to more questions. You know, I think one of the first ones we'll try to address with this database is to look at the outcomes and see did the patients who got stress testing before PCI have different outcomes than the patients who didn't. And again, that we can do with the administrative data. The other questions that we'd like to look at is to try to drill down and see what is driving the differences in practice. Again, just so we can, you know, help guide the appropriate use of PCI and make sure that we understand best how to deliver the best care for our patients and best use our resources. And so that would mean, as I said, you know, perhaps looking at the low areas and the high areas and also kind of getting into medical record review, which we did not do in this study, and actually talking to physicians. I mean, as you know, because you helped us a lot, we really enjoyed having physician-focused groups a few years ago where we looked at a different set of issues related to PCI, which was when physicians would refer patients on for invasive testing um, after a series of non-invasive or evaluations. And so, Rita, you've really made a point here that you used administrative data, claims data, because it is accessible. It, compared to clinical data, is less expensive to deal with. Talk a little bit more about that. Let's talk about what the costs are, both in personnel and actual dollars, of, of going after clinical data. Right. So to get actual clinical data, as you said, we really need to do a record review. And as we're starting to slowly get into electronic medical records, that will certainly be facilitated. And, you know, certainly, you know, registries like the American College of Cardiology's National Cardiovascular Data Registry on CAF PCI is a really rich source that allows a lot deeper analysis of data than we can do with an administrative database like the Medicare, because Medicare is basically claims data. We're only looking at what you build for. But the National Cardiovascular Data Registry for CAF PCI has a lot richer information. It tells you about patient characteristics, about what symptoms were, what medications people were on. And so that's certainly a a much richer source for data analysis. And as more hospitals are using NCDR, CAF, PCI, I think you can get kind of drilled down more deeply into medical practices related to CAF, PCI. Also, development of ambulatory databases like the IC3, I think will also help us to understand what's going on in the outpatient office in terms of symptom evaluation and referral. And so I think the common theme here is that the more kind of data we're collecting regularly, and American College of Cardiology has certainly been a leader in that field of um, starting registries, which does take a lot, as you know, a lot of work to get started, but that it's so essential because if we're not, really, if we're not measuring it, we can't improve it. Now, I want to go back to the CAT-PCI registry. I, I happen to know that the version that's coming out this summer will include appropriate use criteria for revascularization. Maybe you could talk to our audience a little bit about that and how it helps guide decision-making. Sure. So as you said, version 4 that's coming out will include a lot of the things that we've been talking about. So it's going to include information on how does a patient get to the cath lab? You know, was there a stress test? What kind of stress test? And I think that kind of information is going to tell us a lot more about 
uh, medical practice and how medical practice is changing. Because, I mean, as you know, I think we've had a shift in the last 10 years towards doing a lot more stress imaging tests, not just treadmill tests alone. And then we've also had a lot of new tests that have come on the scene in the last five or 10 years, like cardiac CT and cardiac MR. And the, the new version of the CAF-PCI database will tell us how many of our patients came to the CAF lab because they first had a non-invasive imaging test that suggested obstruction. And so I think we'll get a lot more information. And the other thing, of course, it will allow us to look at is a more detailed look at what medications patients were on because there's been a lot more attention since the COURAGE study was published in 2007 that patients should be, most patients should be tried on optimal medical therapy before proceeding to a percutaneous coronary intervention. And I think the new PCI registry will have some more detailed information about the um, intensity of medical therapy prior to being referred for CAF and PCI. And I would feel this would be extremely valuable to give practitioners an idea of their practice pattern. I think what I've learned is that we've not had that sort of feedback, certainly not in the ambulatory arena and only partially related to procedures. And you, as you said earlier, you can't improve or even understand your pattern unless it's put before you. Exactly. That's exactly right. And I think, you know, myself included, we don't really know because we are people and we see patients on a one-to-one basis, it's very hard to know what your patterns are like over time. And that's why these registries are so helpful to us. I want to return to the idea of variation. You mentioned it earlier and you noted geographic variation. I want to make sure we make this distinction. Variation, as you said, we're treating patients individually one at a time. So we certainly vary our treatment or we form fit our treatment to each person. That's different than geographic variation in testing or treatment patterns. That's right, because geographic variation is kind of that population versus individual. It looks at, you know, larger populations where large enough so that you're assuming there may be some differences, of course, throughout areas of the country, but not large differences. And then when things like a three or four or five-fold difference in a procedure is varying where there isn't a lot of other variation in that population, then it suggests that there are other non-clinical factors that are driving that uh, variation in intensity of use of procedures. We've been talking about decision-making in the management of patients with stable coronary artery disease with Dr. Rita Redberg. Dr. Redberg, thank you so much for being our guest today. It was my pleasure. Thank you, Dr. Wright. You've been listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. For more information on this week's show or to download a podcast of this segment, please visit us at ReachMD.com. Thank you for listening.